Hello, Big Little Podcast. Rebecca here with a little secret announcement. You guys thought you were done with content this season and that Big Little Podcast is over. And that might be true, but I'm here to tell you about a little secret side project I've been working on for the last year with my friend and high school slash middle school nemesis, Blair. That is me. I am here. I've got thoughts and feelings I want to share, and I'm ready to reach you. (laughs) So I'm here and Blair's here. We're here to tell you about (laughs) Manifest Destiny, our little history podcast. Our unofficial slash maybe official now tagline is a millennial look at the American millennium. Don't call it a little podcast though, Rebecca, because it's a very big podcast. Yes. You guys have the big little podcast. We just have Manifest Destiny and it's how I plan to support myself in old age. So please. As you'll hear quickly, if you choose to listen to this podcast, (laughs) Blair's a megalomaniac with dreams of grandeur that this podcast is going to fulfill one way or another. One way or another. We either, we skyrocket, we're doing live shows in Paris, London, New York, or Rebecca's dead by my hand before 2021 is over. Wow. You, this is some real threats. It could go either way. So the episode you are about to hear is from our second season, which we just started. So Mm -hmm. if you jump on now, you can get a full season airing weekly on Tuesdays. This specific episode, um, actually, I'll take one quick step back and say each episode of Manifest Destiny features two moments in history. Blair presents one, I present another, banter ensues. And in this particular case, Blair tells us about the Salem Witch Trials, and then I tell about the unsung hero, Robert Smalls. Wow. Such a, go- such a great app. You'll learn, you'll laugh, you'll love. Everything that you've been promised by Target will happen in this episode. And if you are curious about how we got our name and some of the earlier episodes, please go back and listen to our first season, though full disclosure, it is roughly edited and features lots of screaming. But Um, it's still fun. That's part of the charm. Part of the charm. You can really listen to us in real time as we grow from (laughs) two people shouting into a single microphone, much akin to the first season of Big Little Podcast, let us not forget. But second season, the one that's about to hit you, which is part of our second season, we've got some production value. we got a theme song now. It's going to give you the feels. Oh, my God. It's so good. If you love America or if you hate America, if you feel any type of way about <laughs> the United States of America, you've got to listen. Yeah. I mean, that really sums it up. Blair loves America. I am eh about America. And She's we on get the fence, into But it's it. growing on her. I think it's growing on her. I mean, the podcast is like actively making me feel <laughs> more hospitable towards my home country. So that is really the goal. We also have, I should note, a little bit of like an astrology angle for any of you mm-hmm. astro bitches out there. I'm a very powerful witch. So I like to look at history through the lens of the stars, the planets, and where we all were. <laughs> Love loss and what I wore. It's going to be amazing. We talk about we talk about the Salem Witch Trials, their signs, Robert Smalls. I mean, literally every episode we talk about their signs. So yes. if you want to learn about astrology, I'm basically schooling Rebecca. I'm teaching a class on astrology to Rebecca that you are lucky <laughs> to get to hear. It's part <laughs> of the reason we titled it Manifest Destiny, a little double entendre for you mm-hmm. fans out there. But also, if you're curious about, like, understanding what Manifest Destiny means, because I know it can kind of be a hot-button word, like, definitely go back and listen to our first episode where we get into why we named this podcast Manifest Destiny and the rich history of Manifest Destiny. But in the meantime, enjoy this fairly well-produced episode on the Salem Witch Trials (laughs) and Robert Smalls. Tune your own horn. Yeah. Enjoy. (laughs) And DM us. Oh, yeah. And please follow us on Instagram at Manifest Destiny Pod. Is that the right handle? Manifest Destiny Pod. Blair runs our socials, so if you're tired of reading my corny social posts on Big Little Podcast, because spoiler alert, I do the social media on Big Little Podcast, Blair is handling social media for Manifest Destiny and giving me a much-needed break, and it's a different kind of cadence. I think you'll like it. It's a little fresher, a little zestier. Uh Uh, This is an explicit podcast. There are many... uh, Jeez Louise, it's an explicit. (laughs) But you already knew that if you're listening to Big Little Podcast. Yes. Okay. So we think you'll enjoy. We're dropping it in the feed to give you guys a little something to listen to if you're missing hearing Big Little Podcast. And I'm sure at some point we are going to have Teresa and or Carolyn on to give a guest spot ID. So stay tuned for that. Happy listening. Bye. Welcome.
Welcome back to Manifest Destiny Season 2. Here we go. We're here. We're here. The world is different than it was. Blair, it's this actually Blair's fault. We should start this off by saying thanks okay. a lot, Blair. As you, if you've heard our trailer, you know that it is her fault that there was a. I did promise. I did promise in the trailer A, an insurrection, and B, that something else would happen. Things just keep happening, and I don't know. I'm I'm very powerful. It's like in Men in Black when they zoom out, and like the whole universe is just two aliens playing like marbles. Right. That's like that's like my personal thoughts and feelings controlling the whole world. Great. Well, that's sinister. <laughs> um. But yeah. Anyway, I mean, I don't know about you. I had a great week. I got vaccinated. Oh my god! Yes, a it vaccine was queen. I was a vaccine queen and like I literally like my arm kills where they put it in. That's like really the only side effect I've had. But like I just like feeling the pain in my arm makes me feel superior to everyone. Like I'm just like, yes, this is why I was put here. I feel so alive. Like literally it was like tripping me out when I was like getting the shot. I was like just looking at the guy's bottle of the vaccine and it was like all like, you know, like labeled like Moderna COVID-19 vaccine and just like normal prescription. Wait, is that the Dolly Parton one? Oh, yeah, it's a Dolly You think I'm getting any vaccine other than the one Dolly Parton personally funded for me? Yeah. No, yeah, so I got the Moderna, and um, but it was just wild looking at, like, the little, like, glass thing they keep vaccines in, and I was just like, I have chills up and down my body. Like, well, and it was also funny because I was there. I, I was like, oh, made an appointment for 2.30, and they were like, do not show up before five minutes before your appointment. Like, so I thought it was going to be, like, a very civilized thing. I get there. There's, like, 500 people in line. It's, like, the oh. craziest line I've ever seen. And every a single person is showing Well, every single person is showing up being like, oh, hey, I, uh, I know this line is for the other people. Like, um, I'm here for the 2.30 appointment. And everyone's, like, back of the line. And it was just, like, the most, like, New York City thing ever. Like, every single person was freaking out, texting me, like, this is such bullshit. I can't believe I'm at the end of this line. Like, I, I would have come earlier. And I was like, we are literally getting a vaccine. We have waited every single day for for 10 months. Like, can you wait five more minutes? Like, yeah. no, they couldn't. But it was wild. It was amazing. Oh, I feel so strong. And I feel bionic, too. I feel wow, like it's affecting wow. my workouts. Like, I literally feel like I can beat anything. No, we are not being paid by Moderna to endorse this, but stay tuned when we've reached that level of fame. I feel bionic. That, that should be the Moderna's, you know, caption. That's a freebie, Moderna. If, if I can get a, <laughs> that, that a, was a freebie. Test, you can have that for free. Uh-huh, for sure. So, Blair, what are you going to kick off? I mean, you've already told us. We, we teased it. But for those of you who didn't like our little teaser and didn't dabble into those murky waters... Blair, sure. tell us about what you are going to kick off season two with. What's your idea? I am kicking off season two with the Salem Witch Trials. Like, I'm freaking out. I can't believe it didn't occur to me to do this sooner. This one is actually a listener request. So the Salem Witch Trials were a seminal New England event that happened in February of 1692 to May of 1693. But before we get to that, I just want to give a little bit of context for those of you who maybe aren't as familiar with colonial America. The Massachusetts Bay Colony was founded by Puritans, and these are people who are literally looking around mid-century, mid-1600s England and saying, these people are not religious enough. What I'm really seeking is a more intense religious experience, (laughs) which is wild. Like, that's a crazy thing to say, if you know anything about England during the Reformation. So (laughs) they get on a ship, leave everything they love, everyone they love and everything they know, just to be, you know, closer to God and closer to God's vision of how we should live our lives. You know what? No shade. I love it. Like, live your life, do you? But so basically, the religious center is seeking to build a Bible-based society according to their own discipline and because of that they feel like they're kind of this city on the hill um if you guys are familiar with um it was a sermon given by an early preacher don't remember who lock me up but there's kind of this idea that it's a city on a hill it's closer to god and it's an example to everyone um and so basically if someone in your community is not acting correctly all of it like you are all at fault you should all be working together to create like things for God and to glorify God. Um, and also these this was a very strict Calvinist community. Um, and so John Calvin was- John Winthrop, religion. just so we're, we're there. Oh, you're so right. Oh, how could I have forgotten that? Sorry, John Winthrop- You said, you said Calvin, and I remember having to keep all the Johns straight 
in so many jobs. <laughs> so, so many, many jobs. Um, yes. So sorry. John John Winthrop gave that city on the hill speech. Very good, Rebecca. A plus. And um, but they were all Calvinists too. So John Calvin was a religious um, reformer who believed in predesti- predestination. Um, and he's basically saying, ever heard of it? Ever heard of it? It's like you are either destined to get into heaven or you're destined to go to hell. And like we don't know who each other are, but like seeing the way. But but again, and that's it. They're like we are a totally depraved, like Protestant. Yeah, like- I never understood how that didn't just breed an attitude of more hedonism. Like, if it's all predestined, then isn't it predestined for me to party? No, I agree, but I think it's more like you're looking to your right, looking to your left, and you're like, I don't want them to think they're predestined over me. Like, I, I, I see what you're saying, Rebecca. I've totally thought about that, too. But I think that, like, the thing about, like, Calvinism is that you're just like, oh, I'm definitely one of God's elect if I So it's just like- a narcissist religion. It's a yeah, it's a pretty narcissistic religion, TBH, but it's it is I, I will give it to them, they're quite into the Lord. <laughs> like it's not fully focused on themselves. They're more into the Lord than you, more into the Lord than you, Rebecca, and more than anyone well, else. Well, that wouldn't to take this. much. Well, you'll, you'll you'll learn, you'll learn. Um, so basically it's totally contrary to a Catholic religion or a less strict religion where literally the mentality of Catholics is that sinners repent. You are forgiven. You're given the kingdom of heaven. You can literally murder a man, like stab out someone's eyes, you know, do drugs. Now I'm just listing bad shit. (laughs) You could do anything. And God will forgive you. God will welcome you into his kingdom. Whereas Calvinism is much more, and the Puritan religion is much more like, no, he, first of all, doesn't accept you. And second of all, is extremely like watching your actions on earth as something that is predestined should have happened. So... When you're talking about a Protestant work ethic or you're talking about like a New England work ethic, what you're really talking about is like people that are very determined to show that they're doing the right thing the right way right. is how I would put it. Oh, and then It's another... a very New England thing to this day. Exactly, to this day. And I mean, I do think that there's definitely something to be said for the fact that like people grow where they're planted and yeah. like there there is still that mentality in New England 100%. Um, super ambitious. And just before I start this about the supernatural, you would think that people that were this religious like wouldn't really believe in the supernatural. And yeah. Be like, no, but, they were, but they were like, no, it's heretical to not believe in demons because if you don't believe in demons, that means you don't believe in angels. Oh, got it. Got <laughs> and I'm it. like, okay, okay, okay. I see what you did there. Yeah. For sure. Um, and then just to talk about gender politics a little bit, I don't think I'm like going to shock anybody by saying life really was not great for women during this time. But basically they're saying men and women are equal in the eyes of God, but not in the eyes of the devil. So women's souls were seen as unprotected and they had these weak, vulnerable bodies that the devil was always trying to prey on. And like women were doing like specific devil prayers, being like, please deliver me from the devil. Like everybody really believes in the devil. One of these accounts says that like the devils are as devils and the devil and demons are as real to puritans as rocks and trees which gave me chills up and down my body (laughs) i gotta tell you so to get into the to give you guys context february of 1692 is when this starts and this is one of the coldest records to this day coldest winters in new england ever and if you've ever been to new england even for a single second in the winter like you know that this isn't just like you know some snow. Yes. A cold New England winter <laughs> is just an unrelenting experience and hardship. And it's just breaking your back, breaking your spirit. That's what it's all about in New England. Like, truly, there's a reason we work so hard. There's a reason we're so happy. Because we suffer it's, in the winter. We suffer. We suffer for winter. I saw this comedian once who was like, I hate when I tell people I live in California and they're like, oh, I could never do that. Like, I love the seasons. And he's like, yeah, I love seasons too. That's why I live somewhere that skips the shitty ones yeah literally and i was just like i was literally like lol till the day i die i will be again midwinter right now very dark stuff oh, and yes seasonal so affective it, depression when i first heard that was a thing i was like oh that's not just winter feeling like that's yeah. not something everybody experiences in winter it's I, actually I, a disorder in the dsm shocking exactly i think most people in new england are suffering from undiagnosed sad. we're all sad depression. We're all sad and we have sad. But anyway, 
So just to set the scene, this is the coldest winter ever. Everyone's losing it. And to give you an idea of Salem, Massachusetts, where this story takes place, this is on the outskirts of Boston. It's not even really that close. It's a very subsistence living thing. Like, they're all working their own land. You know, there's a couple merchants in town. But it's like, if they have a bad harvest, like, they all die. Like, they are literally very much still enmeshed in, like, the day-to-day of, like, survival in this, like, very harsh background. Ever seen The Witch? It's like that. It's just like The Witch, honestly. And I know because I was there. Um, But so in February of 1692, Betty Paris, um, who was... And and this will make this will be more shocking to you soon, but she's age nine, oh, and her cousin God. Abigail William, age eleven. They are like all belong to Reverend Samuel Paris, who's a pretty influential preacher at this time. So just randomly in February, they start having fits, like described as beyond the power of epileptic fits. They're freaking out. They say there's pins and needles all over their body. They're convulsing. They're going literally insane. And they're screaming. They're throwing stuff around the noise, uttering strange sounds, crawled under furniture, and contorted themselves into peculiar positions, according to the eyewitness accounts of Reverend Diodot Lawson, whatever. So everybody is like, what's going on with these little girls? Why are they freaking out? Um, And the little girls were like, hey, I'll tell you what's wrong with us. It's witches. And so they basically tell their parents, and again, this girl's father is really influential. She's like, okay, um, I'm going to accuse Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and a slave named Tatuba of witchcraft. And just for a little side context, there are a lot, there's a ton of witch burnings in Europe during this time. And it was extremely common for people to be accused of witchcraft. Like, even this isn't that weird. Um, but basically, all of these women that have been accused are outsiders in some way. Sarah Good is pretty much destitute, and she has a bad reputation, immoral life. Um, and then they're saying she she lacks self-control and discipline. Read, she fucks. And um, <laughs> then we've got Sarah Osborne, who is singled out because she rarely attended church meetings, quote-unquote. It's like, lock me up, you know? I'm not doing that. And, oh, and her husband died and she remarried. So they were like, fuck you. So, like, what <laughs> I'm hearing be... here is that it was a bunch of middle schoolers that were locked up for yes. being middle schoolers, which is honestly fair. No, 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 no. So the middle schoolers were the ones that were freaking out, going crazy. They were the ones, like, convulsing. But they were accused these other women. Uh, right, so but Sarah... I still think that's a middle school behavior. Oh, I know. Well, we'll talk about the theories at the end of, like, what was really going on with these girls <laughs> like oh, there is okay yeah, we'll, we'll get to it we'll get to it but anyway so Tatuba is a enslaved south american indian woman from the west indies okay. um, she's often portrayed as black or african in um you know different stuff but she becomes she becomes a target and because she's different from all the other villagers and they're already mean to her um, so she was wow. accused of attracting girls like Abigail Williams and Betty Paris. And there's kind of, um, there's tales about sexual encounters with demons swaying the minds of men. And there's also an account that like starts in the 1800s, which is basically an indication that this is just straight up made up that like Tatuba was like helping them tell their own fortunes and like looking in mirrors and being like, look, see your future, and it was like a coffin, and the girls, like, lost their minds. But again, nothing really happened. But so all of them were outcasts in some way. And basically, two of that, like, Tatuba is hanged, Sarah Good is hanged, and the other one dies in jail. So this is all, yeah, no, I mean, that's all super bleak, like, don't get me wrong. But the thing about this is that this would just be a historical footnote, but it escalates in the wildest way like suddenly because i think because all these other little girls are seeing like oh these little girls got these people hanged like i want in on that like just speculating here but they literally just started going crazy and accusing everyone over 200 between 200 and 300 people were accused of witchcraft and literally almost all by teenage girls like literally teenage girls were like this is our moment we're going for it i don't like him i don't like him i don't like him This was just like the attention grab of the century. Attention grab of the millennium. And it's like, you hate to see it, but you love to respect it. I mean, truly, I think about like how easy it would have been for our like toxic girl school 
middle school group to do something like this. Like this is just not accuse seen. someone of witchcraft. Yeah, right. exactly. It's like it what we lacked was the appropriate setting. If we had been living in Salem, I bet we could have. Those are rookie numbers. <laughs> like we're, we've got three people that at this point, those are rookie numbers. We could have killed everybody in the village just using Truly. group think and insanity. So when did they just start burning people? Because you said that T- Tuba was hanged. Okay, so this is actually a really sad part of it, Rebecca, and I'm really sad that I'm going to break your heart with this, but oh boy. No, no witches were burned during the Salem Witch Trials. Where did that come from? That's just It comes from Arthur Europe. Miller. They, they, they burned like thousands and thousands of witches during um, the witch trials in Europe, which were just more like spread out and random. Like they were never like a giant fevered thing like this. I they were more think, underground, but... a little more European. A little more European, a little more fire, you know what I mean? Like, they were, they were like, that's, okay, you want to kill someone with a, you know, a noose? Let's make it hurt, like, yeah. Make it hurt, burn them. Messed um, up. Right. So, it escalates like crazy, and so, like, 200 people are accused of witchcraft, and the craziest part is that, you know, some of the evidence, and again, we'll talk about the legacy of the Salem Witch Trial and how it's kind of become synonymous with, like, corrupt courts and like not following due process but the the stuff that they were accepting as evidence was wild (laughs) so they call it spectral evidence which was the testimony of the afflicted who were like i saw an apparition of this person that she was the one bewitching me like if you're mad at somebody you could be like okay well like i saw a ghost and it looked like rebecca so i'm pretty sure she's trying to Take me to the devil. So a theological dispute kind of ensued about the use of this evidence because it's like whether a person had to give permission to the devil for his or her shape to be used. <laughs> but opponents claim that the devil was able to use anyone's shape. But other people were like, no, you can only the devil can only use your shape if you give him permission. Again, this is literally legit conversations that were happening in this town. Like, everybody was like, okay, 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 but like, what do you think about like where the devil stands on this? <laughs> um, so that, that was like, people were hanged, people were murdered, people were jailed for a long time, literally just for worshiping the devil because somebody said they saw his shadow in a mirror or whatever. Um, okay, then I also want to tell you about witch cakes, which is when what? they combined... Okay, it's called Witch Cakes. So a girl, say a random teenage girl is, again, faking a random crazy seizure of shaking and shit. Right. And the way that you would find out if a person was a witch is you would combine yeast, flour, and the accused witch's urine. Oh, my goodness. And turn it into a cake. And then he would give the cake to to the little girl that was, like, wiling out and, like, you know, like, convulsing and stuff. And if she stopped convulsing, it was proof that... The accused witch was guilty because, Wait. you know, hair of the dog. It was a classic hair How of the dog have situation. I never learned about I feel like I've learned about Salem. No, I didn't know about this either. Don't feel wow. bad, Rebecca. Yeah. And and I, I shouldn't have opened with witch cakes. They're definitely the best part, and I will be doing that to someone. It's literally like icing someone. It's like give someone a cupcake and then Made of your pee. Like, that is my urine. Um, and then there's like also breast milk ice test. cream, but worse. <laughs> Ew, oh my god, don't even don't even go there. Um, so basically another thing they would do was touch tests where they would blindfold um, people that were like having, so they would blindfold the accused witches and then they would blindfold the people that were, like the little girls that were convulsing and saying crazy shit and like acting possessed. And um, they would begin their fits and flailings and then they would all, they would make the accused witches lay their hands on the girls and if the girls stopped when you laid, laid hands on them, you were the witch. <laughs> Again, oh my god, <laughs> duck duck goose of witching. What I'm realizing is that the Puritans are really serious about like double jeopardy. Like they are just like, okay, well like if it was you, then it wouldn't work if you did it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know, sure. What? This is a Monty Python sketch. Like this is not I mean, real. It, it really is. And I mean, okay, so basically this goes on for months. It doesn't really end until May. And guess why it ended? I, Just and a man was accused of being a witch. No, close. The governor of Massachusetts's wife was accused of oh. being a witch. And he was literally like, shut it down. <laughs> shut <laughs> it down. It's gone too far. Literally, we've been letting teenage girls tell too many people that we should hang them. Like, truly crazy. So 
when all is said and done, when the governor of Massachusetts ends and there are all these crazy trials, and the, the trial parts were, like, very much, like, literally finger-pointing in court. Like, they were making children of, like, age of three or four testify against their, par- like, mommies being like, does your mommy love the devil? And they'd be like, yes. Oh, my <laughs> like, God. Like, literally very wild scenario. Um, so, basically, when all is said and done... Um, more than 200 people are accused, 30 people are found guilty, um, and 19 people are killed. 14 Only women. Only 19? I know. It's like, who would have thought? I feel like we make but, a really big deal over this, and, like, not that many people die. Okay, well, 19 <laughs> is not nothing, but I no, agree with you. No, it's not nothing. I guess it's, like, a really early example of women being I mean, persecuted. I, but I can't explain to you how upset I am that there was no burning at the stake at all. In the, in the wide world. Yeah, I'm really um, shook by that. Same. So more than 200 people are accused basically by just little teenage girls that are raving around um, and being like, I'm touched by invisible ghosts and literally 19 people were killed. That's still crazy, Rebecca. Come on. I mean, yeah. I'm not trying to downplay the horrific <laughs> loss of life. However, I do think like the scale and scope of time that's given to the Salem witch trials is not necessarily like equivalent to how many people were actually killed. I thought this was like a much more widespread oh, t- issue. Totally. It's totally. not like Bloody Mary like killing it's, literally, it's literally every like Protestant this, ever. It's like the Salem Commerce Department is basically in charge of making you think that the Salem Yeah, honestly, I feel really people. deceived. It's more I'm not trying to downplay like how horrific it is that women were being killed because teenage girls were wilding. I'm more upset that I have spent so many dollars to the Salem tourists <laughs> board going on these same, stupid same, Salem same. witch trail okay. Salem witch I tours. I hear you Rebecca <laughs> but I think that part of it is that part of the craziness is that so it's only for it's only 19 people that are hanged but 200 people had to like show up for themselves and try to prove they weren't yeah, a witch. So right. just imagining that atmosphere is a little wild <laughs> and if you confess to witchcraft they would like let you go so mm-hmm. that's that's kind of the next thing. Like seventy eight percent of the accused were women, and and um, almost everyone that admitted to witchcraft. Yeah, what was their punishment? Um, they were kind of like let go, but they were never allowed to be in the church again. Like just really, it was basically like. But they let you like live, live your truth. Like you yeah, could... they let you live your truth. But but it's really interesting. There's like this whole article that's like, did these women really think they would be taken over by the devil? And there's like all these articles where women are like primary documents where these women are like. I mean, I've been feeling a little weird lately. Honestly, like, maybe it is the devil. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I never liked that girl that accused me of being a witch. Like, maybe I'm a conduit to Satan. Like, I get it. People get confused. I mean, yeah, afflicted girls, contorting bodies. And so the craziest thing, and then we'll get to the aftermath, or kind of just the legacy that I want you guys to take on, is that this has a lot of implications for like groupthink and for scapegoating that really becomes later. It's interesting when I was trying to like research memes for our social media account for the Salem Witch Trials, so much came up for like Brett Kavanaugh's trial being like, this is this is a Salem Witch Trial, just pointing fingers, no due process, there's no evidence. Like and like so many crazy alt-right things are like supported by like accusing people of the Salem witch trials and obviously scapegoating women and scapegoating outsiders also so that's kind of intense um and it they were some of the people that were accused were just independent and unsubmissive which is you know it's pretty dark also this is one of the most sad things I learned it wasn't just people they also executed dogs for witchcraft what yeah, it's like literally girls accuse their neighbor's dogs and the dogs get executed. Like literally I would say a bunch of dogs died. Um, and they were, and always in the Puritan mind, dogs had been linked with the devil. So they were kind of like, okay. Okay, <laughs> I mean, sense. I get that, but like. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's tough. It's tough. And the craziest part, and this is the part that really fascinates me, is it's like the historians now say that the hallucinations and the convulsions and all the crazy stuff those teenage girls were doing could have been caused by a fungus called ergid um apparently it was like really rampant in that part of massachusetts at the time and it caused swelling of the brain and made you like convulse and act crazy but do you think what is it called ergid little girls having fun ergid e-r-g-i-d ergid 
Wow, I've never heard of that before. And I know quite a lot about fungus and mushrooms. Yeah, you know plenty about fungus, and we both lived in New England our entire lives, so it kind of makes me think that it's not true. And honestly, like, I stand a strong queen. I I honestly, yeah, I think it's more like a (laughs) bunch of messy teen girls got together and were like, you know what would be fun? If we accused a bunch of people of being witches. (laughs) And they're like, oh, girl, you won't. And then she did. I refuse to believe it was anything else. Like, the fact that there's all this historical precedent for, like, it actually being this fungus that makes people go crazy. I'm like, Yeah, don't buy not. it. I'm like, no. Betty Paris and Abigail Williams had an agenda. <laughs> they were like, you know Anyone what? named I... Abigail Williams has an agenda. Like, you just know she know was that, like, I someone else bitchy. named Abigail Williams, and yeah. she was also a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there you go. Like, I'm just telling you, like, if an Abigail Williams crosses you, like, you know. It's time to stand down. Like, that bitch means and you'll know, business. And you'll know if you cross them back. Because, oh. again, if we've learned one thing with the film with trials, it's that things are just escalating nonstop. Um, and it literally only got stopped. Okay, and then really interestingly, in 2001, they had, like, an official ceremony in Massachusetts, in Danvers, what's now Salem, or what is now, what was Salem then is now Danvers, and there's still a Salem village. Um, but they had, like, a big ceremony being, like, okay, these witches are officially exonerated. Like, it wasn't your fault. We all talked about it. 300 years later, like, here you go. Um, so oh, my gosh. Sold her it. <laughs> I, I, did you look up their signs? Oh, no, there were way too many witches. I couldn't look up okay. 19 people's signs. Uh, well, I oh. just did for you because they don't know when exactly Abigail Williams was born. Yeah, but of course. Betty that's, Paris, that's her never... cousin, we have a date. Betty Harris was born November 28th. Oh, my God. Oh, oh interesting. So she's what a Sagittarius. A so Sagittarian. That kind of Sagittarian. Um, Sagittarian is from Battlestar Galactica. Come for me. I will come for you, you <laughs> absolute fucking loser. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Um, yeah, no, Sagittarius, that is a track for me. Sagittarians are pretty fun and direct. This seems like a Scorpio move to me. And that's the sign right before. So I think that she, it's probably a couple days off. Like, I would put money on this whole thing being instigated by a Scorpio. And do not come for me, Scorpios. Do not come for me in the comments. Um, Scorpio is like, October? Scorpio is, like, late October um, and early November. It's, like, through November 23rd, I think. So I really – and then the, the other thing, Rebecca, just so you know, for, like, re- these really old um, – these, like, colonial times, it's, like – People brought their birth, like, it was, like, you you wrote down your christening day, like, the day mm. that you were, like, baptized and stuff, right. which was, like, usually, like, three to seven days after you were actually born. So, so it's more likely of, she was a toxic Scorpio. It's more likely she's a toxic Scorpio. That's all I'm saying. I mean. Yeah. And I, I don't I just, know anything about astrology, but I do know that toxic Scorpios are a thing. Well, I know everything about astrology and toxic Scorpios are a thing that are currently ruining my life. <laughs> Take it away, Rebecca. <laughs> so rebecca has been teasing nay tantalizing us with this apparently amazing id for weeks now and I'm just saying, you guys only get part of it. In our personal lives, Rebecca has been texting me being like, I'm just so excited about doing this for the podcast. I'm like, why have I never heard this man's name? She's like, I'm going to write a cinematic screenplay about this and become a billionaire. I'm like, we're already going to be billionaires from the podcast. I have complete faith in us. It's an endless back and forth. So Rebecca, without further ado, please, for the love of God, just do this this freaking id okay i'm nervous i, feel <laughs> I can like tell I it up. i'm nervous i'm nervous i'm nervous about what's gonna happen after this first of all i'm not gonna try and personally profit off of robert smalls's story but somebody needs to tell this man's story and needs to make a billion dollars at the box office i am it is wild i'm prepared from start to, to profit off of robert smalls's life so go ahead okay well <laughs> we'll see about that okay so our story begins on April 5th, 1839. April, birthday, April 5th, what is this? Aries, oh my God, so much energy. Like, they're the first sign, they're the sign of beginnings, and they're fire signs, so they love to initiate. Okay. They're incredible, like, creatives. Like, they love to create, um, and they are just so focused. And, as I always wow. say, all Aries state everything is facts. It's my number one pet peeve about Aries. Wow. Yes. Wow, well, that. Okay, this is this is honestly I'm so glad I ask every time because it's it really informs the story we're about to tell. Yeah. So April fifth, eighteen 
They're the Ram. Robert Ram. Okay, yep. <laughs> Robert is born to his mother Lydia in Beaufort, South Carolina. Lydia is a house slave for the McKee family. It is historically unclear who Robert Smalls' father is, though he is given the last name of the plantation manager. It's widely suspected that his father was actually Henry McKee, who was the plantation owner at the Ooh. time. So Don't love that. Don't love that, and it is most likely that is what the, uh, the paternity was because the McKee family uh, raised Robert like he was different from the other slaves. They really loved him. They sheltered him from a lot of the slave work and his mother was worried that Robert was growing up and didn't have like a proper grasp on the severity of slavery so she goes to the McKees and was like I think you need to put Robert actually in the fields and make him watch what happens to slaves with the whipping post to basically like wake him up to the reality of slavery so that happens and the result is that Robert Smalls is like big mad he decides that he really hates slavery. He starts acting out. He's getting all defiant. And he becomes like a regular in the Beaufort jail circuit. So his mom, Lydia, is now like stressed that her plan worked out too well. So she goes back to the McKees and was like, listen. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So he didn't have to work growing up at all. Not really. Like his, he was very much like favored by the McKee family. So he wasn't he was working in the fields. <laughs> and that's why it's like historically suspected that he was actually henry mckee's son because okay. the mckees treated him so well okay and they didn't treat the rest of their slaves well so his mother was like whoa, whoa whoa i don't want robert to get the wrong idea here slavery is abhorrent so i want him to go out in the fields and see what okay. that's like so when you say he's he a did, regular then, yeah so he just starts punching people so he just gets mad he's just like i hate this like i can't believe that this is actually what my life is so he starts getting really defiant there's not like a lot of record about why he wound up in jail but he was definitely in jail in and out but again we're talking about a child at this point like he's 10 or 11 so lydia is stressed that they're like her plan to basically wake Robert Smalls up to the horrors of slavery worked too well. So she goes back to the McKees and arranges for Robert to essentially be rented out for work in Charleston. And Beaufort is fairly close to Charleston. So Robert, at the tender age of 12, leaves home for Charleston and starts working in a hotel. He then, in Charleston, he then starts working as a lamplighter in Charleston. And he'd make like a dollar a week and the rest of his earnings were paid back to the McKees. So he was not amassing any real sort of income. Uh This was literally just like contracted out slavery. So eventually like Robert's innate love of the sea led him to seek employment in the Charleston docks, which were booming at the time. Right. I mean, who doesn't answer the siren song? Well, this is just a totally random aside. Sorry, never mind. I won't do it. No, no, I want to hear it. This is important. Well, so I actually, I've spent a fair amount of time in Charleston. I was there all of quarantine. And so they were talking, so I've like done all the historical tours, like Charleston Docks. They have a lot of ghost tours. I won't go into it. It's oh, pretty okay. weird. This is all applicable. It's, yeah, it's all applicable. But one of the craziest things I did, we went to this, oh, I forget what it's called, but basically like there's a copy of the Declaration of Independence there. And then they talk about how it was like a, a commerce center. It was like the trading house. It was like at the landing of the water where all the docks met and that's where they would have yeah. like slave they where they would have slave auctions and stuff outside so everyone in the building is dressed like it's like old timey like those people 100% wish slavery was still going on it's weird it's a whole vibe down there but regardless they um were talking about like literally i was reading historical accounts like in that building about how like this guy who traveled all around America to just like get a flavor of life. He was like, I've never seen people as proud of their slave auctions as they are in Charleston, South Carolina. He's yeah. like, literally, you go to Georgia, you go to Atlanta, you go anywhere. These are events that are happening like inside underground and in Charleston they would just happen on like the town square like literally or like in front of this building they were like oh yeah no we're proud of that we like traffic in human life like and um yeah yeah. so I always think about that when I think about Charleston and yeah I mean I've I've been to Beaufort too and it's quite rural for how close it is to the city (laughs) yeah so I think it can only imagine how it was back then so it's honestly good context because Charleston does not come off looking great in this story <laughs> for these exact reasons. So Robert Smalls, young Robert Smalls, loves the sea, goes to the Charleston docks, seeks employment. And by employment, I mean slavery. Sure. And he is a longshoreman at first, and then he takes work as a rigger and then a sailmaker. And he eventually works his way up to being a quote-unquote wheelsman, 
which was essentially the same thing as a helmsman, but slaves weren't allowed to hold the title of helmsman, so he had to be called a wheelsman. But that's basically like the pilot of these boats. So, you know, here he is, a young man, learning all of the waterways in Charleston, which are apparently very complicated, and this is like what he's, he's decided his career path is going to be. So at 17, Robert decides he's going to marry 22-year-old Hannah Jones, who is a slave of the local hotel and already has two young daughters of her own. They get married. Robert is, again, only 17. I can't stress this enough how much this man did when he was a young person. So after two years of marriage, they have a daughter of their own, Elizabeth, and then three years after that, a son, Robert Jr., Unfortunately, Robert Jr. dies at the age of two. Oh, you which, hate to see it, but it happens. You hate to see it. A that's, common fate That's at just the, time. the cost of doing business, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, he is the stepfather to two girls and the father to another one. So Robert decides that he's going to try and purchase his family's freedom because he's been, you know, making $1 a week for <laughs> the past few years. Sure, sure, So sure. he's managed to save $100, which is like pretty legit. And the... Then he comes to more find than out I the can cost. say. Yeah, I <laughs> more mean, than I can say hustling. for my own finances. Yes, go on. Yeah, so the cost he comes to find out to purchase his family's freedom is eight hundred dollars, which is which is the equivalent of like twenty three k today. So okay, you know, okay, nothing. To a stop significant at. chunk of change. I certainly couldn't afford to purchase my family's freedom for twenty thousand dollars. So me either. Me either. Sorry, know. guys. Hope you like. Hope you like being. Hope you keep listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, same. Honestly, we laugh, but stay woke. <laughs> this podcast yeah. will lift us up out of poverty. Continue. <laughs> so, he's unable to purchase his family's freedom, and he's like, you know what? Honestly, fuck all of this. Like, I am not going to shell out my hard-earned coin at this point when I can make a bid for freedom. So he's like festering with this idea. He's thinking about it. He's building on it. You know, he's only 18, 19 at the time. So years go by, and right after Robert turns 22 years old, the Civil War breaks out right, wouldn't you know, at Charleston's Fort Sumter, right around the corner mm-hmm. from him. Mm-hmm. And because Robert Smalls has this now, like, iconic knowledge of Charleston's waterways, like, everybody knows Robert Smalls is your guy if you want to know how to navigate Charleston's waterways, Robert is taken on as the wheelman of the Confederate steamboat the CSS planter. So again, like wheelman roundabout way of calling Robert the actual boat pilot, which is what he was, but slaves weren't allowed to hold the rank of pilot. So Robert was very much the one like steering this ship, making things happen, but he wasn't allowed to have any of the rank because he was still a slave. So the CSS planter is under the command of commander brigadier general Roswell S. Ripley. And the, the vessel is mostly tasked with supplying like the various points in Charleston, the Confederate points with supplies, messages, troops. They patrol the waterways. They lay mines. So this boat is like a pretty active part of the Confederate unit. And as the pilot, Robert Smalls is responsible for steering the planter through the Charleston Harbor, but also along the South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida coast. So he's really like, by the time, you know, one year has passed, very well versed with the southern reach sure so it also turns out that robert smalls bears like an uncanny resemblance to planter's captain Mm -hmm. cj railier so much so that the other crew members start kind of teasing him for it and it's a whole thing so now we're a year into this the union navy has built up a blockade around the atlantic gulf coast and the confederates are like really defending charleston because this is their point i mean this is where the war began they're really Mm -hmm. trying to hold on to charleston but about seven miles off the coast you've got this union blockade Mm -hmm. robert smalls still piloting the plantar living in charleston and he seems like you know as far as everyone else is concerned like pretty content with the position he's got a pretty senior position he's well respected he turns 23 in april of 1862 and then he just like you know comes up with a wild idea and he gets this wild idea, and he starts sitting on it and thinking about it. He starts kind of, like, talking about it to his fellow okay. slaves. Say it, I'm nervous. And, you know, he talks to everyone except one guy who he suspects of being a narc, but, like, everyone that he knows Probably is cool. Probably was right. Kinda, so, you know, he's trying to, like, float the idea, and people are like, whoa, this is wild, but, like, we're kind of intrigued. So on May 12th, Opportunity Strikes, the plantar travels from Charleston to Coles Island, which had a Confederate point at it, a post, on the Sono River, and they pick up four big guns from this post, including one that had been um, damaged in the original skirmish uh, on Fort Sumter. 
They -hmm. brought back these four big, big guns to the fort in Charleston Harbor. And then once they got back to Charleston, they loaded in an additional 200 pounds of ammo and 20 cords of firewood. So they, like, stacked the plantar. It was filled with stuff. They get all this done. And the three white officers on board, including Captain Aurelier, disembark Plantar to go to a party. They just, like, bounce up out of there, leaving only the eight slave crew members behind on the boat. And before Relier leaves, Robert asks if their families can come visit on the, them on the boat, and Relier agrees <laughs> as long as it's before curfew. So Robert's like, Gucci, they're all going to come. Love that. So Love when, that. The, when the families show up, Robert spills the tea that he's already, like, made this whole plan. Here's the deal. His wife already knows about it. Hannah is, like, ride or die. People were responding like, Robert, this is, like, really wild. You can't do this. We're going to get in trouble. But Robert is like, no, no, no. We're doing this. And everyone finally agrees. They're like, okay, we're going to do this. So three of the crew members leave the boat and pretend like they're escorting the families off Plantar. But instead of taking them back to their houses, they hide them on another abandoned ship in Charleston Harbor. Mm -hmm. And at 2 a.m., Robert, who, again, let's recall, he bears this striking resemblance to the captain, Puts on Relier's uniform and his signature yes! straw hat. Yes! King, king, king! King alert! Raises the Confederate flag. Oh. And then in full <laughs> view that. of Commander General Ripley, like Commander General Ripley, head honcho, in full view of this guy's headquarters, Robert pilots the plantar to the West Atlantic Wharf where they pick up Hannah and his kids along mm-hmm. with four other women, three men, and another child, pick them up, and a little after 3 a.m., Robert starts piloting the plantar out of Charleston Harbor... Yes. He uses all of the correct Confederate whistle signals and Navy flash signals and successfully Same passes girl. Fort Johnson. Same. It's even reported that he was like crossing his arms to look more like Captain Relier, like because it was dusk, like you couldn't really <laughs> see. It was, you know, this like murky, you know, midnight look. You oh, couldn't tell. Yes. So yes. he made sure he like mirrored his body language. So at four fifteen, they started approaching straight Fort up Sumter. like Midsummer's Night's Dream shit. It's wild. <laughs> like, this is Shakespearean where it's like you put on a mask and you're like, oh, who is it? Is it Fair Rosalind? <laughs> no. It, it's literally Fair Captain Relier, but it's actually uh-huh. our man, Robert O.G. Yes, Smalls. Yes, yes, yes. So, 4.15, they start approaching Fort Sumter. Like, this is the big one. Everyone is stressed. Okay. Robert Smalls is shaking. The women are praying. They're like, this is it. We're going to get caught. We're going to probably be killed for this. It's not going to be good. So here is a quote from scholar Tim White's book on Robert Smalls to set the scene for you. It really moved me. So, as the planter approached the fort, several men urged Smalls to give it a wide berth. Smalls refused, saying that such behavior would almost certainly arouse suspicion. He steered the ship along its normal path, slowly, as though he were merely enjoying the early morning air and in no particular hurry. When Fort Sumter flashed the challenge signal, Smalls again gave the correct hand signals. There was a long pause. The fort didn't immediately respond, and Spalls now expected cannon fire to shred the planter at any moment. Finally, the fort signaled that all was well, and Smalls sailed the ship out of the harbor. So, after Plantar is beyond the gun range, instead of heading for the next fort, which was another island, Robert mm-hmm. heads straight for the Union blockade about seven miles offshore. The Confederate immediately raises the alarm because they realize the ship's going in the wrong direction. But at that point, they're out of shooting range, and Robert is straight up booking it. Mm-hmm. So he immediately then replaces Plantar's Confederate flags with a white bed sheet that Hannah had brought. Oh, my God. And <laughs> they start heading for the Union blockade. So a crewman on the Union ship sees Plantar coming. And Plantar's like a known vessel that's associated with the Confederacy. So they're literally about to start firing on this ship when the sun rises and they see the white flag. And Is like, this oh my already God, a Marvel movie that I've seen? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm telling you, I am just, the whole thing is wild. So the sun comes up, they see the white flag, they stop the cannons, they bring Plantar aboard, and witness account says that Robert pulled the Plantar up to Onward, took off the straw hat, and shouts, Good morning, sir. I've brought you some old United States guns, sir. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is an iconic thing to say. So not Same. only is Robert's coming, like, bearing four big guns, 200 pounds of ammo, and a bunch of firewood, but he also hands over the Confederate code book that contains all the secret signals, a map of all of the mines they'd laid in Charleston Harbor, so basically like giving up all the tea. Mm-hmm. He then asks the Union soldiers for an American flag so that he can lower the surrender flag and raise an American flag. Yes, on my king. Car. Yes. Like, I just have all the chills. So, you know, if that wasn't enough, 
Robert's like, no, I'm not done. Like, I'm now a free man, and I'm going to continue to show up for my people. So yes. once he was free, yes. he continued to help the Union using his extensive knowledge of the southern waterways to help their attacks. He provided lots of juicy intel, and he actually allowed the Union troops to capture Coles Island, which is, if you recall, where he originally picked up the guns from. Mm-hmm. Because I do he recall. Like, gave them all this <laughs> intel about how there was nobody there. So on May 20th, the Union were able to take Coles Island without a fight. They just, like, walked right on, thanks to Robert Smalls. So the North, like, quickly recognized Robert Smalls as a hero, and Congress passed a bill that allowed Robert and his crewmates to receive the reward money for capturing Plantar, which was a very highly valued vessel, but also had all these guns that were very important. So Robert, like, makes a chunk of change, but instead of just retiring and, you know, living his life... He was invited to New York to help raise money for ex-slaves, and he was, like, all ready to accept that. But then Admiral DuPont of the Union vetoed the proposal because he wanted Smalls to have a position in the Navy because it was so advantageous for them to have Smalls around because he knew everything about the Confederacy at that point. Mm -hmm. So after he'd worked for them for a while, his Union commander actually encouraged him to go to D.C. to lobby for Lincoln to let black men fight in the Union because at that point, Lincoln had previously rescinded orders to mobilize black troops. Uh-huh. So Robert Smalls goes down to D.C. and lobbies basically to Lincoln to let them have black men in the army. And the result is that there's an order permitting 5,000 black men to enlist in the Union. And they were organized into the 1st and 2nd South Carolina regiments. So Robert then worked for the Navy until 1863. And then he transferred to the Army where he was present at 17 major battles in the Civil War. Okay, so again, 17 major, <laughs> major battles, bid for freedom. You would think this man would be done at that point. Oh, no, no. After the Civil War ended, Robert Smalls had made enough money to buy his former master's house in Beaufort, which he did, and he allowed his mother, he allowed, I mean, he, he let his mother live there until the rest of her life, and he allowed McKee's wife, Jane, who was a million years old at that point, to move back into her former home before she died. So not only did he buy his house from his master's he was a kind enough empathetic enough man that he let his master's wife live out her years in the house oh my gosh, with his own mother what a and his cutie. like Robert. what a nice guy right Bye. so the first thing he did after the civil war was he learned how to read and write and then he went on to purchase a two-story building in beaumont that was used as a school for black kids he then again He could have just hung it up there, but he went on to become a highly successful businessman in Beaufort, operating a store that catered to freedmen, and then later investing in Beaufort's economic development and co-founding an 18-mile horse-drawn railroad in 1870. And then, if that still wasn't enough, Robert (laughs) Smalls was like, you know what, I'm going to get into politics. So he started by lobbying for the Republican Party and wrote uh, on the 1912 election, I ask that every colored man in the North who has cast a vote would cast the vote for the regular Republican Party and thus bury the Democratic Party so deep that there will not even be a bubble coming from the spot where the burial took place. And we should say that at that time, Republicans were Democrats and Democrats were Republicans. So he's basically like (laughs) That is worth mentioning. (laughs) He bodied the white supremacist fascists like King. Yes. He went on to become a delegate at the 1868 South Carolina Constitutional Convention, where he was part of an effort to make free compulsory schooling available to all South Carolina children. Mm -hmm. And then in 1868, he was elected to the South Carolina House of Representatives, where he introduced South Carolina's Homestead Act. Ever heard of it? Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? This man has Homestead Act ties? He literally was instrumental in the Homestead Act and worked then to pass a civil rights bill. (gasps) Ever heard of it? Whoa. There was then a a Senate seat was vacated by um, someone who was appointed judge to the Supreme Court. So he filled that seat and then won his re-election. Everyone considered him like a fantastic orator, a great debater, and in 1874, he was elected to Congress for two terms, lost a re-election bid, and then won his seat back in 1882 and served for three more terms. I mean, could Whoa. this man have done any more? No. And he, he died in 1915 in Beaufort in the very same house that Ugh. he was born in as a slave. Oh as a free Lord. man and a legislator and a hero. And... If there is not a movie made about this man, I'm going to riot. Like, that is the most iconic, Rebecca, insane make story. Make the movie. I mean, let's make it together. This is going to be the first Manifest Destiny production. You heard it first. Because if a man has ever manifested his own destiny more than Robert Smalls, I'd like to see him. I'd this man, like, like had a dream of being free. I also, like, want to just shout out to his mother, Lydia, who straight up, like, set a fire under this man and then 
redirected him into a place where he could actually do something about it and he got his entire family free and then bought his master's house like how iconic can you get you're telling me that we need to watch like brad pitt fix slavery in 12 years of slave and yet we're not gonna if i don't buy my parents house now (laughs) after having heard you tell me this i'm gonna feel like a failure (laughs) i didn't realize right that's the next step the next step is buying your master's house that's what i need i mean we're leveling up in 2021 i just like can't get over any part of that story like what a legend what i mean really just and all of the people that you know he's his captain and all that all of them had to suffer martial law and all sorts they they, they got in trouble so not only did he get free like he made life a lot harder for the confederates in general he messed up all their plans (laughs) and when they retired plantar like he was there and he piloted plantar them (laughs) i mean he just trolled everyone and like got shit done and then he he wasn't finished at any point in his career. And I think that's, like, what's the most inspiring about him. This man was all of 22 years old when he stole a Confederate ship. Tireless. sailed <laughs> a bunch of people to freedom. What were you doing when you were 22? Trying to hook up with a guy that didn't like you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he's I mean, a hero. that's exactly right. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to go on and serve in the military even though, like, I don't have to. I want to. Did that. Could have been done. He's like, you know what? Now I'm going to become a businessman and start a school. And I'm also going to start a railroad. And then if that's not enough. I'm going to become a politician for the rest of my life. Like, talk about a public servant. Talk about someone that manifested a, a better destiny for themselves in despite of insurmountable Ugh. odds. Death to white supremacists. Long live Robert Smalls. That's really all I have to say. Well, I am shaken. Thank you for sharing, Rebecca. I am just so grateful that we are able to give you know, 12 to 15 people this story (laughs) that they might not otherwise know. Because, like, I am moved. I'm, like, choked up a little bit. Like, say what you want about America. And I'll tell you guys, it's not looking great right now. Like, honestly, we've seen a lot in the last... Stay tuned for our impeachment special. We've seen a lot in the last 10 days to four years that it's made me be like, where do I live? (laughs) Who is voting? What's going on? But when you hear something like this and it really makes you realize that, like, the United States levels the playing field in a way that has not and cannot be replicated and that true strokes of insight and people of genius are able to, like, rise up and create a new life for themselves, it's like nothing I've ever felt before. It feels so real. I I just love it. But also the, like, inherent bravery it takes to rise up against this institution that literally enslaved your whole family like just a legend and I can't believe that he is not like you're telling me that Hollywood needs to produce Green Book but we can't produce a story about Robert Smalls trash like this is a great story beginning to end it is an American story if I've ever heard one like if there is an American patriot better than Robert Smalls I would like to see him like what is not to like like what an uplifting moment for us I needed that. Yeah, Thank you, Rebecca. It's I a positive. A I need a really positive takeaway from this whole thing. <laughs> I'm trying to just think of Robert Smalls during our next episode when we try and figure out what the hell is going on with fascists, white supremacist fascists in this country. Figure it out with us, you guys. Like what I think America has always craved as a democracy and as an exceptional nation is a dialogue. And it just feels like we're not having that dialogue. Like, I would love to hear some dissenting opinions. And the crazy thing is, I really don't. Like, I really don't hear people. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, if you're a white fascist supremacist asshole, unsubscribe now. No, I'm saying subscribe (laughs) now. Like, fucking DM me. I want to hear what you have to say about this. And I want to body you like i want you to know the taste of defeat when i fix your opinion (laughs) that's how i feel yeah i mean i i that's your role (laughs) i don't even want to hear it i don't want to see it stay away from me i mean it's like ivanka's dad i don't even ivanka's dad i never want to say his name which i've done a good job not saying for four years you really he who shall not be named him like real but we also really can't she who shall not be named her to you know who i'm literally I don't know if you can hear that on the camera, but I'm literally knocking on wood because I am hoping that the next time Manifest Destiny is recording, we will no longer have to speak his name or think anything. Like, I I just don't even know how I feel about the impeachment stuff because I'm like, like, don't give this guy his fucking due. Just don't pay attention to him. Well, 
I want him to lose his, like, all his benefits and his million-dollar travel budget. Like, bye. I don't want him to be able to run again in 24. Okay, well, if you think that he is... Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think he would run in 24 because I think that he, for the first time in his life, experienced failure. He was like, I hate this. <laughs> like, I think he was literally like, oh, I'm being publicly humiliated. He thinks he was cheated. He doesn't think he failed. He thinks he was cheated and he will absolutely run again because he is a narcissist. That's really true. I mean, my mom, who is the most insane person that should literally be in some sort of holding cell until the inauguration is over because she's... <laughs> I mean, yeah. How is I your mean, mom I love doing her. This? I mean, honestly, her. not that great, Rebecca. Like, she's literally like, she's been sending like group texts for our family, like during the inspection, being like, still think he's harmless now. Like, still don't want to give me rest now. Like, insane. But her emails. Can you tell her to text me? Yeah, I think that you would be a much better um, fit as her daughter than me because she'll literally just. I mean, we've known that. I, we have known that, but she'll. My mom would also like you a lot better than I she mean, likes me. I mean, so I'll maybe pep we should it do up. A fan swap. Helen likes to party. I'm here for it. We'll see you all extremely soon. All of our close listeners, I think of you guys as my. All 15 of you. All 15 of you. And you know what? I'm setting an intention for 2020. We started 2020 with 15 listeners. We're ending with 15,000 listeners. Will you help? Oh, my God. That's a huge (gasps) jump. I thought you were going to say, like, 25. No, 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 Rebecca. We are getting what we deserve. 15,000 listeners. Tell your friends. Tell it all. Like, comment, subscribe. Come for us. Thank you for listening to Manifest Destiny, a millennial take on the American millennium. If you enjoyed our show, please leave us a positive review on your preferred podcast platform, but only if you enjoyed it. Looking for a history fix in between episodes of Manifest Destiny? Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Manifest Destiny Pod for exclusive content and quality memes.